Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup, and today we're going to be bringing you what we are calling the free agent leftovers. Some big-ish names, some medium-sized names who have recently landed in new destinations, and in some cases back with their prior teams. And we will talk about what it means for each of those offenses moving forward. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter. Pat, I noticed that on the Monday episode this week, which you hosted in the paragraph write-up, you know, which appears in like wherever you find your podcast, which I believe you write, it said Patrick Doherty. I literally have never once called you Patrick. So I just want to ask, have I been offending you all this time by calling you Pat? Are you trying to tell us something? Are you trying to change? No, listen, I go by Pat. I answer to Pat. I hear the word Pat hundreds of times a day. But as a professional, respected, esteemed writer in writing, it's Patrick. All right, uh, folks. Denny, do you go by do you go by Dennis in formal settings? I don't. I go by even more formal. I I, I go with C D Carter as my as my byline, and uh, that has not changed the entire time I've I've written stuff uh, it, all the way from uh, covering high school baseball games in the uh, greater Prince George's County area, Maryland, uh, to now uh, offering my. My fantasy football takes. It's always been CD. Do you guys think the CD, because it is his actual initials, the CD rise to the level of pen name? Or do you not get pen name credit if it's just your initials? I don't think you get it, the credit. No, no. that that It would have to be something that is not actually my uh, my name, like C.C. Carter assuming, or something. I'm assuming there are at least three to five mystery novels written under the name C.D. Carter that we just don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stuff on Amazon. Yeah, folks. we gotta go. We gotta dig through the Denny archives sometime and see what's oh, really going on inside this. Yeah. Thing. Do we? Do we? <laughs> Do we? Uh, Sometimes I look up and I see his social media and he's plugging something. And it's like, I didn't even know you wrote this book, one Diddy. And then also, it's like, what, 69 pages, literally long, like 69 <laughs> tips? That's right. Yes, yes, that's right. It's, uh, 69 okay. ways to... Well, uh, well that, that that's the other one. I have, 90, I have 96 ways to rise and grind. Of course I, you do. I flipped, flipped the script there. I had to keep people on their toes. Any anytime Denny signs a contract, the only stipulation is that the book or whatever it is, publication needs to be sixty nine pages long. That's right. That's right. It, I, just, I, thought of a, I thought of a name question, by the way, when we were having this conversation. John, why why how did John become a last name guy? Like why do we all just call you Daigle? Yeah. Why do certain names just lend themselves? Because no one really ever just called me Darty. It's too long, it's too many syllables, I guess. But like why do we just call you Daigle? I don't really understand why, but we do. This has happened the past like two years now. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when I went to the office every day and it would be Daigs, Daigsy, Daigle. I think just for the most part, that's what's caught on because it's unique. A lot of people, I guess, know Johns, whereas a Daigle, you pretty much have to be Cajun to uh, to know one or have <laughs> one in your family. So, yeah, that's what I assume. Also, though, I have, I have a range uh, depending on like what era of my life you go visit, that's going to be my name. Now it's Daigle or John a lot, but my parents even, they're never going to change from my middle name. That's what I grew up on. And uh, they still call me that to this day. I got called out a few times for calling you John back in the day. People are like, well, what's the deal with calling him John? It's Daigle. Whoa, take it easy, man. I, him John. As the, <laughs> when I was the new guy, I didn't know what to call you because I didn't, I didn't want to like fake familiarity, you know, and, and be like, Hey, yeah, Daigle, my man. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know you that well. I'm thinking that it's only people who know you well who call you Daigle, but apparently it's like everybody. I think I usually call everyone by their last name. It seems safe, 
Uh, if I'm trying to be more cordial, I usually go with the first one. Okay. And that goes for everybody. I think we're in agreement. Moving forward, it'll be Patrick, CD, Matthew, and Jonathan here. And let's not <laughs> let's not mess around with any of this other stuff. All right, well, let's get into this. We're going to be talking about some backfields in a bit. But first, some wide receiver transactions. And Will Fuller is now a Miami Dolphin, joining the team on a one-year deal. 879 yards and eight scores in just 11 games last season for Fuller. Daigle, what does his arrival mean for the rest of Miami's receivers? And do you look at Fuller differently in fantasy since he's once again playing uh, for a contract, basically? Exactly. That's it. It's an interesting situation because it is a one-year deal, and the Dolphins are so heavily rumored and linked to both Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts at the top of the draft that not only does this seem like a prove-it deal for Will Fuller and then to go off and get a Kenny Galladay deal next year when the cap increases more, but also uh, he can pretty much be the veteran and laying groundwork and helping out whoever the Dolphins decide to draft behind them. And that also makes Tua, in my opinion, sneakily one of the big winners of the offseason because I think it's already safe to assume, especially if we're trying to be proactive for offseason drafts right now, whether it be best ball or dynasty leagues, that the Dolphins will quietly have one of the better offenses or at least have the best offensive pieces in the league because I assume they will be adding one of the top explosive rookies from this year's class. So yeah, I don't know overall if it benefits Will Fuller so much. His target share, I expect to decrease with the Dolphins. Uh, They probably won't be as explosive as, of course, playing with Deshaun Watson is. And then Fuller, of course, also last year, career high in yards per catch, despite having a career low and average depth of target. So overall, I don't think it really benefits Fuller, but I think it benefits the Dolphins as a whole. You mean irregardless? Is that a word, by the way? I think that's always the debate. Uh, regardless of what the Dolphins do in the draft, uh, this feels like a huge need. Like, they never really – they needed like a different element opposite like the sideline domination of Devontae Parker. And, you know, Preston Williams was never healthy last year. And you know, he does some Devontae Parker-ish things too. They needed like this explosive element. And Tua, you know, as we know, the super conservative rookie year but at Alabama, you know, every time you looked up, he was throwing like a 65 yard touchdown, usually off like play action. But I mean, Tua is capable of hitting those big plays. And Will Fuller is Johnson, even as he was used more as a true number one receiver last year, still had a career high in yards per catch, like one of the preeminent deep threats in the entire game and a guy who can do more. And it just, yeah, fills a huge need. And like something that Tua just didn't get to have in his arsenal last year, didn't get to show off really his deep game. And, regardless of what they do in the draft will it's i agree with john too it's probably better for the dolphins than it is for will fuller i mean there's no way he's going to match especially after they take the receiver uh but a huge a huge real life move for the dolphins the difference basically with the dolphins and the texans is that the dolphins actually have a defense and won't be in the position to have to throw and throw and throw some more like we saw houston uh last year and, and fuller often thrived in those sort of game scripts but beyond beyond that uh, I do think that Tua is uh, the overall winner here, uh, probably a bigger winner than Fuller uh, from a fantasy standpoint. Of course, it, it depends on where Fuller's ADP falls. I, I don't really know you know, where that'll be when we get into the summer. I'm guessing it'll be a little too high for comfort. Like it, it, You're not going to get a deal on Will Fuller with the Dolphins. But uh, you know, Tua had the 30th, was 30th in touchdown rate last year, uh, and you know, you add the explosive pass catcher in the draft, possibly you add Fuller, you have Parker, you have Gusecki, uh, you know, the pieces are in place for him to see a major boost. 
in t- in touchdown rate or or at least at least something of a boost you know it, it has to go up it was it was near the very bottom of the league last year so he is the overall you know biggest winner here I use this line all the time when referencing Tua's rookie year, but it's true. He played like an injured rookie who didn't receive offseason reps. So I just think you throw out last year, everything all together. Uh, we have no idea what to think of him, whether we be too high or too low on him. I will say, though, they did find something in the middle of the season. Recall that Chiefs game and the contest before that when they started running league highs and no huddle rate, and he was so successful and efficient from running no huddle and passing along the plays um, just via from behind the line of scrimmage as opposed to huddling. So I do wonder if they're going to do that more, especially changing OCs in this offseason. Denny, I had to not so fast, Denny, really quick. Just when it comes to Will Fuller's ADP, where I feel like it could almost go the other direction, where if the Dolphins do draft a receiver at number three overall, we're like the fade could go way too far. Sure. Uh, but he, I think what this illustrates probably is that he's going to be someone whose ADP we're going to have like a really hard time making sense of. And it's going to be like one of those all offseason long debates. All right. When we last spoke, I believe you guys said, and I'm paraphrasing here, please, God, do not let Kenny Galladay go to the New York (laughs) Giants. And here we are, Denny, now that it's a reality, can you foresee a scenario where Galladay puts up something in the neighborhood of vintage numbers playing in Jason Garrett's offense and catching passes from Daniel Jones? Uh, I'm going to turn into the Bugs Bunny meme and say, no, (laughs) no. All right. That wasn't funny enough for the podcast. I thought you were uh, gonna say I'm going back to the old me, Bugs Bunny meme. That's no, that's what the Bugs Bunny means. No, 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 no. Uh, I, you know, the, Daniel Jones has uh, a lot of room to grow in touchdown rate, and I have touchdown rate on my mind right now because I just I just finished up my my article on that, and we'll post it soon uh, to the site. Uh, but um, you know, he saw a huge drop off in touchdowns last year. He had a 2.5 percent touchdown rate, which is just atrocious. Uh, you know, is that a function of Jason Garrett's offense? Was it bad luck? You know, who is to say? But if there is a receiver out there that the Giants could have signed who could be, you know, both the catalyst and the beneficiary of a, a, an increase in Daniel Jones touchdowns this year, it is it is Kenny Galladay. I would not, of course, the way I draft my teams, I would certainly not have Kenny Galladay as my wide receiver one. But, you know, if if people kind of fade him because you know, he's on the Giants because Daniel Jones is throwing him the ball, um, you know, because there are other options, including Sterling Shepard there. I would be I'd be happy to scoop him up for a value, but I don't think he's got a guy I'm going to target now that he's signed with New York. I mean, the thing the problem is like he basically needs Daniel Jones to be a different quarterback. So I actually did. I wrote got up a short article on this on the website over the weekend and. Like there's a big disconnect between the way Kenny Galladay wins and the way Daniel Jones plays where he attempted only 43 passes, 20 yards or longer last season. And that, that was as many as Gardner Minshew and fewer than Teddy Bridgewater. So, and you know, Kenny Galladay is, is you know, famous for, he's a downfield receiver. His, his last healthy season in 2019, he actually rated as PFF's top downfield receiver. And that was despite, next gen stats charting him with like the smallest amount of like separation and cushion in the league. So he's a contested catch dynamo, like someone who is very comfortable in tight spaces. And that's somewhere where Daniel Jones doesn't seem that comfortable throwing. Uh, now it is weird though. Cause despite the few attempts, PFF, our friends, PFF, like last year actually did chart him at the highest quarterback rating on attempts of 20 yards or longer. So when he did do it, he seemed to pick his spots. Well, 
but he just did not do it very frequently at all. I mean, yeah, this is the guy who's throwing, throwing deep less often than Teddy Bridgewater. So for Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones to have success together, Daniel Jones is going to have to really open it up a lot more in 2020. And that could happen. It's me his third year in the league. We saw may have been a third year leap from a quarterback last year in the NFL. I'm not going to name names, uh, people who ruined my fantasy reputation, Josh Allen. Um, but yeah, we're going to need a big step forward from Daniel Jones. Everyone excited about drafting Daniel Jones late continues citing his production and the flash he showed as a rookie. He averaged 32 fantasy points, of course, against 2019's number 13 pass defense DVOA. That, of course, was his debut. And recall, even Drew Locke looked good against the Chargers in his debut because teams have very little, if any, film on you in that first game. And then, of course, the number 20, number 27, and number 28 in those the rest of those four games. Uh, in 22 other career starts, he's averaged 12.1 fantasy points per game and regressed across the board in every metric possible, including continuing not to hold on to the ball, both with interceptions and fumble issues last year under Jason Garrett, who ran the Giants offense at the fifth slowest pace in the entire league. So genuinely, in my mind, there's nothing to be excited about in this situation. Like everyone says, well, what if Daniel Jones improves? What if Jason Garrett improves? Like that that's too many what ifs. Billy Bean mm-hmm. taught us long ago, hope is not a strategy. And that's all people are doing. They're just hoping for the best. So no, I'll just avoid the situation and be done with it. Probably not a good sign for the Giants that I, I involuntarily laughed when John said Jason Garrett could improve. Uh, and I know he wasn't saying he would improve. He was saying what people are banking on. Yeah, probably not a good sign. Juju Smith-Schuster is back in Pittsburgh on a one-year, $8 million deal. Pat, with Juju back catching passes from Big Ben, how do you rank these Steelers receivers heading into next season? That is a uh, tough question, isn't it, Matt? All right, next. Uh, next, next topic. <laughs> I was going to begin filibustering. So, you know, the thing is, Matt, uh, yeah, get out a phone book to start reading names. Uh, get out Dr. Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Cindy, come on, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, a lot of times in baseball, the second year back from an elbow injury, that's like the first year you're actually back. Uh, but typically, you're not 39 when that happens. So, Ben Roethlisberger is everything with Juju last year cratered. The yards for catch, the average, you know, the A dot, uh, it was 9.6 in 2019 when it was Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. Uh, that fell to 5.8 last year. One of the, it's a, his average depth of target fell four yards when they went from like, uh, you know, like the three stooges essentially under center to Ben Roethlisberger, uh, you know, indication of course, that Ben Roethlisberger's arm is just completely shot. You know, you know, he averaged 8.6 yards per catch. Like that will make like Jason Witten blush. And we know that's like a context-dependent stat, but that context probably is not changing with the Steelers. Like, what indication, what reason do we really have to believe that the Steelers are going to change their offense? And if they do change their offense, who's going to like get the deeper usage? It's going to be Chase Claypool. You know, who showed like freakish uh, downfield ability, downfield playmaking ability as a rookie. And, you know, Deontay Johnson, he's become like a compiler, but he was also supposed to be kind of like a downfield guy. And so it's hard to see Juju Smith-Schuster's usage really changing. And I guess I don't really know how the targets will play out, but I just think the usage is going to remain the same. And that's like not a path to anything other than wide receiver three value for Juju and fantasy. As far as uh, targets go, I, I do think you can pencil in uh, you know, Deontay Johnson, and then just under probably Smith Schuster. I think there was like 16 or 18 targets separating the two last season. And, and that was with a, 
you know, a major target boost over, I think, the final like six or seven weeks of the season for Juju. Um, and then and, and then obviously Claypool underneath them. I, I would hope that uh, Steelers offensive coordinator Matt Canada would uh, better use uh, Juju down the field a little more. I mean, obviously he's not a burner. He's not, go- you know, he's not going to be used in that way, but he doesn't have to be used, uh, you know, like latter day Jason Witten, like, like Pat was saying, we would hope that that would mean that a, a bunch of targets, 120, 130 targets for him would translate uh, into more fantasy usefulness, you know, which, which really wasn't the case uh, last season, unless you were in, you know, deeper formats where you're just like looking to plug and play anybody who was getting targets. Uh, so I, I do think that things probably don't change all that much, but I think it'll be important to monitor how Canada plans on using Juju in, in 2021. To Denny's point, Deontay Johnson averaged a team-high 26.3% target share and 10.5 targets per game, and the 13 starts he avoided injury or being benched for. And remember, Juju was healthy for all of those games. So I'll continue to be bullish on Deontay as the receiver to pick among this group this offseason. However, I'm fully admit, I'm fully aware that Chase Claypool could smash that and be the number one receiver if they play him significantly over uh uh, down, downfield receiver. Somebody help me. Name slipped my mind. James, James Washington. Washington. Thank you. James Washington. Washington. Yeah. Um, Jim. I, I do think, though, they got away with one last year because Roethlisberger averaged 40 and a half attempts per game. They ran the league's lowest run play rate in neutral game script, but they also faced the second easiest passing schedule last year. And so we know, we assume it's going to be much tougher, even if it's league average this season, to try and run that approach back with a 39-year-old Rosberger whose arm died the last half of the season. It's going to be disastrous. So I think we should be limiting ourselves to two out of three of these receivers. I w- it will likely be Deontay and Claypool for the upside for me because Juju, of course, maybe they don't use him like this again, but like Denny said, he was basically used like 100 target Kendrick Bourne in that offense last year, and that's not really a player who's explosive or you want to start weekly. Denny keeps making the podcast political. He said the word Canada twice, and it's just uh, it's not acceptable. Um, so I can't help myself. You know that. That was really also, worth stopping the podcast for, by the way, for me. No, well, I'm glad you brought up because he also plugged his column, and we talked last week about not plugging columns wow. during this portion of the show. So, and Pat, you did it too. So, both Disaster. of you guys, all right, you're on notice. Sorry. Okay, one more receiver who is staying put is 31 year old T. Y. Hilton, staying in Indy, also on a one year deal. He was pretty invisible early last season, but came to life late with all five of his touchdowns coming in his last six games. Daigle. How, if at all, does this return shake up or adjust your expectations for Indy's receivers? And do you value Michael Pittman any differently now? T.Y. Hilton had that three-week stretch towards the end of the year against the Titans, Texans, and Raiders, who, as we know, stopped no one that fooled fantasy players and us into believing uh, in a resurgence. That clearly wasn't the case, though, because he only eclipsed 70 receiving yards in one other contest outside of those three games. Uh, This doesn't move the needle for me at all. I will not value Michael Pittman as highly as I would like to previously because I thought he was going to at least come in with a 24 to 26% target share and dominate targets, even if they were inaccurate from Carson Wentz, dominate target share. But as we know, this team, the organization loves T.Y. Hilton. He's going to be on the field 
like a Larry Fitzgerald playing a majority of the time as the team's number two receiver because they didn't really add anyone else to push him off of that role. So I'll still covet Pittman, but it does bring him down slightly for me. Yeah, it's weird. And he's going to be on his – so he's 32. Which So we've seen T.Y. Hilton kind of falling off the cliff a little bit, which happens a lot with speedsters, with speed-based receivers. Now he's 32. Like, can we really trust on that element being rediscovered? And with Carson Wentz, one of the most erratic, awful deep ball throwers in the league last year, Carson Wentz will be T.Y. Hilton's fourth quarterback in as many years. Uh, he's averaged 743 yards in three seasons without Andrew Luck. Some of that was because of injuries. The number would be a little higher without some years uh, cut short by injury. But John did it. I mean, it's weird. Just something I felt like needed to change in this receiver core, and nothing did change. And, uh, I mean, is, does Denny have some argument for that, why T.Y. would be a, a late-round bargain or, or no? Yes. While while 25-year-old T.Y. Hilton is not walking through that door, okay, because that was six years ago. Uh, Carson Wentz going into 2020, and I know it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember Carson Wentz before last season's debacle. I, I get it. But going into 2020, uh, he was a very aggressive downfield thrower and a pretty good one. Not great, not top of the league but a pretty accurate one uh, over his previous however many seasons uh, before 2020. Now, was he you know, broken last year in that Philadelphia fiasco? I didn't mean for the alliteration, but it works. Uh, and and you know, maybe, perhaps. Uh, but if he's able to get back to what he was doing before that, I think a guy like Hilton kind of benefits by default. You know, he's, he's not going to you know, dominate defenders like he did uh, in, in the Andrew Luck era, of course. Um, but the team, like, like Daigle said, the team is committed to having him on the field. He's like a legacy player at this point. And teams love to just keep their old legacy players on the field, even if it hurts them. It, it doesn't matter to them. It, it, they're they're going to keep playing them. So the opportunity truly could be there for, for T.Y. Hilton to benefit from uh, a Carson Wentz resurgence. That's my most positive take on this. And didn't you make the point about Carson Wentz being pretty decent down the field before last year? And that was with you know, every year was a meme. The Eagles trying to get better downfield receivers yeah. and they never got them or they always got hurt. Oh, so yeah. we did do that with you know, not the world's greatest supporting cast. So I guess you've hit on the one kernel of positivity here. There you go. Pat, I'm not going to let you just sit here, though, and call T.Y. Hilton 32. He's not 32 until November, so you well, need to cut this out. I wrote 32 because it's, it's his age 32 season. So I speak in what their right. age will be at the end of the season. So it's his okay. age 32 That's very deceptive. Very presumptuous. That's true. Just a quick reminder that our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports, so you can still get access to NBA, NHL, college basketball, and MLB premium products with the baseball draft guide now available for 10% off any subscription under the promo code good 10. The Atlanta Falcons have signed Mike Davis, who quietly did some nice things for the Panthers in the absence of Christian McCaffrey last year, over a thousand yards of scrimmage with eight touchdowns. Danny, it seems likely that the Falcons will add a running back in this draft, but either way is Mike Davis now someone who fits well into your zero RB universe. I, for the moment, yeah. I mean, you know, when when I saw that breaking on, I think on Monday morning, you know, the zero RB radar went off. Okay, and uh, and uh, not radar, but the the alarm. I have it back here in my office, and uh, you know, so for now, it looks like he he would kind of fit that strategy if if you're fading running backs early and trying to get a starter later in in the draft. 
but honestly, it's just it reeks of a situation where we're going to be laughing at the at this idea, you know, come August. I, I don't see a situation where they're going to be like, yes, yes, Mike Davis is our starting running back. No questions asked. Um, you know, could could he be through parts of this season? Yeah, of course. And he acquitted himself really well last year in Carolina. He, he you know, he didn't like, you know, blow the doors off or anything. If you look at his yards per carry, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't have any, any sort of mid-career, you know, resurgence uh, from from what he did earlier in Seattle and, and with other teams. But but he can do everything. He can catch passes. Coaches seem to to like him. I, you know, I don't I don't I don't know what else to say about Mike Davis except for he's a guy who can be a starting running back. No question about that. He's obviously not going to stop the Falcons from continuing what they were going to do in the draft, whether that means drafting a running back or not. But he falls into, in my opinion, a terrific situation. This team, of course, is the most unaccounted for carries from last year. And although I think it's going to be a completely different scheme, like I believe Rabel and Arthur Smith leaned on Derrick Henry because they're that type of offense and he's that type of back. Arthur Smith, I imagine, won't do that in Atlanta because – he just doesn't have the personnel available. But if that means there are is more play action, like he did with the Titans, and we carry over more uh, running back passes, then, of course, that right now would mean Mike Davis is the guy who's going to soak up a majority of that opportunity. His numbers last year are skewed all over the place because remember he handled nearly 100 more touches than he's ever had his entire career last year and in his last few starts remember like it just even seemed like he was totally beat down and burned out um but yeah a fresh start with a new team with a team that we can assume under smith is going to run a lot more play action this year i think it's a a great spot for you know best ball leagues 12 to 16th round selection mm-hmm. He was just on absolute fumes at the end of the year. So maybe he will not be called on for that kind of workload again. But John, I think, hit on an important point because, like, or maybe it was Denny. I can't remember who. Who Uh, The Arthur Smith Titans offense didn't have like a lot of running back receptions. And that will be like a huge part of any uh, path to fantasy relevance for Mike Davis in Atlanta. But like you said, it's probably just because, I mean, they had to have Derrick Henry on the field at all times, and they don't love his pass-catching ability. I think you could definitely see a huge uptick in running back receptions in this offense this year. Uh, but it's just all dependent. Clearly, they cannot go – there's going to be another big name, almost certainly in the draft, added to this backfield. We're kind of have to be in a holding pattern. And I was at my entire answer, all I've had – I just had the phrase in my head, the Denny Carter zero RB extended universe. <laughs> It sounds like a Marvel uh, spinoff. That's what we're going for. We need to brand it. Yeah, I'm sure that book, Denny's already written that book as well. Um, (laughs) That's available online. Meanwhile, Chris Carson is staying in Seattle on a two-year deal. This is a guy who scored exactly nine touchdowns each of the last three years, accomplished that, and nearly had 1,000 yards from scrimmage in just 12 games this year. Obviously, durability is the big question mark, Pat, but it seems like this is pretty much a no-doubt best-case scenario for Carson's fantasy value staying in Seattle, right? Probably, but it's. I think the Seahawks have like uh, made the very understandable determination that Chris Carson he can't he can't stay healthy that he can't hold up as a true workhorse back anymore. And he's never. I think he's appeared in more than fourteen games only one time. Uh, you know they know him better than any team. They could have franchise tagged him for a pretty affordable sum, even for a running back of under nine million dollars. Uh, they didn't do that. They were content to let him test the market and. Last year, after he hurt his foot, he came back for six games and only averaged 13 carries. He never reached 20 carries 
uh, in a game last season. So maybe for fantasy, he would have been better off just going somewhere like the Jets that has like no like allegiance to him or no like just be fine. Like, well, we're just going to ride, you know, Chris Carson's the wheels fall off, kind of how he's used early in his career. Whereas for fantasy, I think now the Seahawks are going to be this kind of dialed off and maybe not treat him as a role player, but like he's entering into maybe like a strict committee back phase of his career because it's just extremely well documented. He runs so violently that he cannot hold up on uh, bigger workloads and that he could just end up kind of more on like that RB2-3 periphery instead of like the locked-in RB2 we've kind of known him as. I tend to think that uh, anytime, you know, you have a, a clear number one running back on a Pete Carroll coach team, there's a possibility, and Pat knows this, I'm, you know, every, everything you said is probably spot on, but, uh, you know, Pete Carroll wants to establish. He wants to establish, and that's all he wants to do. He, he talked about at the, uh, at the end of the season, his one regret in 2020 <laughs> was not running the ball more, which is something that I can't, I haven't stopped thinking about since he said that. So um, <laughs> it's just three months of thinking about that. And, <laughs> and, you know, so they get their guy back. They love Chris Carson as like part of that tough nose culture that the Seahawks have. So I do think that in the range of outcomes, if I could use an overuse phrase, uh, that Chris Carson just kind of resumes the workload that, that we've become accustomed to. But we can't ignore that he's dinged up all the time, you know, and you know that going in. Is that going to be incorporated into his ADP? It hasn't been in recent seasons. So I don't think it will be this year. I do find it comical that Russell Wilson demanded the offensive line improve and all Seattle's done so far. And I understand it's early, but all they've done so far is re-sign three of their own guys and then trade for Gabe Jackson to replace the one spot that needed to be replaced. They've basically done nothing with the offensive line so far, except bring back Chris Carson to help them out. It is, in my opinion, the best case scenario for Carson. He went to the one team that not only loves him, remember those fumbling issues he had and Pete Carroll continued to run him out there and Mm -hmm. give him the ball until he just figured it out on the field himself uh but then also they're going to be bringing back Rashad Penny um they will have DJ Dallas in the mix as well they re-signed Alex Collins it's not out of the question that all these guys are active on game days at some point I do think we'll see though a split like we saw in the playoffs where Carson handled 16 of 20 backfield carries something similar to that with Penny taking over Carlos Hyde's meandering touches or if it's a very heavy run game script, then both being involved. Either way, terrific for Chris Carson. Just going to be a top guy who we know will see the touches in an offense. A backfield that I think a lot of fantasy managers are going to instinctively fade is that of the Houston Texans. They now have added Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram to a backfield that still has David Johnson, who I believe now has a restructured contract. Daigle, is it is it going to get to the point where people are so opposed to drafting Texans running backs that there might actually be value to be found in this backfield? There is no value in this backfield. <laughs> there's, there's none. I tried. Uh, I tried. I'm the one who added this to the ledger, and I just think it's, well, one, an interesting case study because now we have David Johnson, Mark Ingram, and Philip Lindsay with zero clue as to who they prefer. But also, if Deshaun Watson's legal issues trail into the regular season, which right now is what it seems like could happen – I, I don't know how they move the ball, the Texans. Uh, they're going to trot out Tyrod Taylor throwing to Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb with this trio-headed backfield. Like, what does that average? Like, what? how do they get first downs? Um, it's an amazing assessment that 
this organization literally went backwards from the Bill O'Brien era. Like that's something we never thought possible and they've somehow gotten worse. And they once again got rid of their best player when they released Chad Hansen. I don't really know what's going on <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, I mean, is there any? It's like so, like you know, we're we're paid fantasy analysts, but there's like there's like nothing, there's like no like uh, nothing to cling to with this backfield. Like, how would we be able to differentiate this? Right, you just like literally cannot. You guys get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a situation where we it would be nice if the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus would allow us to have a preseason this year. So we can see, get some indication of how this might shake out. And I mean, David Johnson is still the one a, you would have to, so he was the earliest, you know, they recommitted pretty decent money to him. So I think it's like 4 million guaranteed, something crazy like that. Uh, so you think he's still at the top, but they're adding, they're clearly shifting to a run all the time, run based offense. And, I don't see any path to RB2 viability for any of these three backs. Uh, first, I have to give Pat credit for always saying the novel coronavirus, <laughs> uh, just to distinguish. I mean, to, you know, to be clear with the audience, you know, which coronavirus are we talking about? The, no- <laughs> the novel one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even as a, a zero RB truther who's always looking for just a little value in bad backfields, I. I I don't, I'm ashamed to say that I don't see how I'm going to mine for value here. Perhaps Philip Lindsay, if everybody else is hurt and, and, and he just kind of falls into like a workhorse role. But here's the thing, you know, Watson's legal issues going into August, September, October, whatever, if he ends up missing time and they have to start to Rod Taylor, I said his name right for the first time, uh, Taylor has a history of not checking down like he does not throw the ball to running backs so even if you think you can you know kind of get a little ppr action you know a little i don't want to say cheating with ppr because that's not what it is but um uh you <laughs> know truth we, is finally revealed everyone andy barons is gonna kill me now um yeah so even if you think that you you can get by on a bunch of uh, you know, garbage time targets to to Lindsay or or to David Johnson. That's probably not happening if Deshaun Watson's not in there. Matt, in the recap for this podcast, you got to put in Denny makes the stunning admission that PPR is oh, oh, oh. don't do it. PPR CD acknowledges that oh. PPR. No, I, love, okay. I love PPR by the way. Let's try let's try one more uh, one more messy backfield here. The Bears have added Damian Williams to a backfield that is getting back Tariq Cohen from injury and obviously had a very high volume David Montgomery without competition down the stretch last year. So, Denny, let's try this one. Can you find value in this Bears backfield? Oh, he's nodding. He's smiling. I can. Oh, I, I, I can. I am. I am. Uh, I'm wheels up on Damian Williams. Oh, no. Uh, for now. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, you know, David Montgomery ran the second most pass routes last year behind only J.D. McKissick. That's not happening. In fact, Montgomery would be lucky, I don't know, to finish in the top 20 or 25 running backs as far as pass routes if Tariq Cohen is healthy all season. He, obviously, he's coming back from a major injury. And Damian Williams is part of that backfield. Now, Montgomery, I don't know where he's draftable now. I I, I really don't. Like, I think, you know, he has a a good shot of being the most overdrafted running back in, in, in fantasy because people will remember, you know, that we remember feelings and we remember the, the great feeling of holding on, holding tight, keeping the faith in Montgomery last year and having it come to fruition with a late season 
uh, surge against some of the worst rush defenses in the league. And we remember that, okay? People are going to go into this season uh, with that recall, and they're going to draft, I, you know, Montgomery two, three rounds higher than than they should be. So for zero RB, zero RB purposes, we are having a party online, of course, COVID safe uh, over the Damian Williams signing. The signing told me that there are fewer outs to get David Montgomery right. Uh, he, of course, averaged 21 touches, including five targets per game, without Tariq Cohen from week four on last year, whereas he only saw three targets per game with Cohen on the field. But that's why we logically downgraded Montgomery already, despite his results. But now you add in Williams, who is the guy that steps in just in case Cohen goes down again, or they bring him along slowly to start the year. So it just seems like that significant passing game usage has already evaporated no matter what to start the year for Montgomery, which is why we are going to be much lower on him than the rest of the industry. All right. We remember, as Denny said, that glorious run from David Montgomery. People also may remember what a lost season it was for Tevin Coleman. Uh, The 27-year-old is now a New York Jet. Pat, I think this is kind of a two-part question here. Uh, Number one, can you imagine a rebirth for Coleman in New York? And two, any thoughts on the comment from Corey Davis saying that he expects Sam Darnold to be the starting quarterback? So Tevin Coleman, I mean, so Tevin Coleman got a second opportunity from the guy who traded up to draft him in Atlanta, Kyle Shanahan. And if Kyle Shanahan could not unlock unlock Tevin Coleman, it's not going to, I mean, there's a lot of ex 49ers coaches on this jet staff, but this is truly a situation like if Kyle Shanahan couldn't do it, like no one could do it. The Jets are going to probably have to draft another young running back. I mean, Michael P. Ryan is still around. He could be a kind of a 2021 sleeper. But no, uh, I do not. I think the Tevin Coleman, Tevin Coleman is, I've said this over and over again, he is the Sammy Watkins of running backs. Like we just can't, we cannot keep doing this to ourselves. The argument is settled. It is over. There, there's no there, there. There's nothing more. Mm-hmm. With Sam Darnold, I mean, do we believe this, uh, folks? Gang, John, I do. Do we believe this? I believe it. I believe that that they are uh, either ready to get rid of, you know, uh, trade that second second pick, or I think Darnold is coming back as as the starter. I think that he would have been gone by now if that weren't the case. I think it's interesting. I don't know if I believe it, but it at least gives me enough confidence to believe in, oddly enough, Jamison Crowder because Crowder's the one the past two years who has historically been pelted with targets from Darnold. Uh, Crowder's led the team in targets with Darnold on the field in each of these past two seasons. I know Darnold has missed quite a few games with a number of various injuries, but while he's been starting, Crowder has been his favorite receiver, and that's the only reason you should tout slot guys who do nothing else is when they're just drowned with targets, and yet Crowder has proven to do that. So I think it's actually sneakily terrific news for Crowder above all else. Um, and we'll see we'll see what happens. We'll see if it actually they're going to go in with Sam Darnold, but super interesting. I also cannot believe we led about Tevin Coleman with Pat, who is notoriously <laughs> Tevin Coleman's number one doubter out there. Well, when when have I ever been wrong? That's about true. It, folks. That's uh, very true. Folks. And what was the deal? Weren't there like rumors that Jameson Crowder might get released? I yes. forget why. Well, if they if they sign Juju, I believe That's they could right. save 10 million, I think is the number 10 or 12 yeah. million from cutting Jameson Crowder. So it made sense to just move on to a younger slot receiver. Uh, but now, I mean, who would that be? They're not going to draft a guy and then cut Jameson Crowder. Will, so Willie Sneed. Willie Sneed is somehow younger than Jameson. <laughs> <Okay. but>, uh. <laughs> if I could just say on Coleman, 
I have finally reached the point in my fantasy football existence where I am fine and I can sleep well at night betting against uh, Tevin Coleman. I, I've reached that point, and I'm happy to share that with you guys. Well, Denny, I tried to teach you a lesson on superstition earlier in the week, and now that you're out on Tevin Coleman, <laughs> you'll officially be back in. So that was a huge mistake. <laughs> I will say, this is not me saying I'm going to draft him like in the 20th round everywhere. I will say he's familiar with the offense. He can't stay healthy, of course, and he only has a sophomore, LaMichael P. Ryan, to worry about. Um, I guess maybe Ty Johnson, too, even though it's a new coaching staff. But overall, like the opportunity is there if they choose to feature somebody. And I'll That's just the Tevin Coleman mean, train in the background. The, the Tevin Coleman Express. <laughs> That's actually the Ty Johnson Express. I just want to be clear. I didn't mean to skew the conversation by going to Pat first. I wasn't thinking about that when I threw it to Pat there, I just want to say. so You didn't we'll know my history again. with Tevin Coleman. It's fine. Guys, before we get out of here, anything to promote that you have not already promoted or have promoted and would like to promote again? Uh, See, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gun shy about it now. I'll never talk about another article that I've written <laughs> on this podcast. But I, I do, uh, right after this podcast, I'm going to finish up, put the finishing touches on my touchdown underperformance article. So looking at teams that were under their expected touchdowns from last year and what that could mean to individual players. I just had a weird story to tell where I was thinking again about <laughs> Pat and Patrick. And so my name by this Patrick Darty, D-A-U-G-H. One of my best friends, this is not a joke, is named Patrick Doherty, D-O-U-G-H. Exactly. No. Except he's O and I'm A. And I was to say, sometimes I call him Patrick just to see what it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing yeah. Pat, you you live in a, a david lynch movie it sounds like i yeah, do so. we, went, we went to the same high school he was two years older than me i became known as bizarro pat right people because yeah i was like a mere oh, wow. version of him all right why wasn't he bizarro pat yeah he was older you know yeah, um, oh, yeah. he's right. the original pat then i did the other pat just all shows right. up to yeah, david lynch just introduces you have the new pat doherty to the uh, new high school uh, right you're the you're the doppelganger it, it all makes sense to me Tegel, anything for you the train's Any still friends? going on so my mic is muted <laughs> Do you, have, do you know anyone named John Dougal or anything like that that we should know about? Uh, my middle name that I've referenced earlier that my parents call me still is Reagan. And I, in kindergarten, I was called Raisin Bagel with Cream Cheese. That's my reference to my oh friends. Oh, my gosh. I'm just, which is, which is like something Diddy would call me now, by the way. How, how often, I just beg you guys to keep politics out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know wow. this Reagan propaganda. Come on. It doesn't belong here. All right. That's going to do it for us. Uh, Daigle, Pat, Trick, Danny. Thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next week.